history of non-mainstream journalism, such as the immigrant press, matters a great deal because it helps us find those missing pieces of the big puzzle of, you know, capital H history, if there is such a thing. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Nick Hershon, and I research the history of New York sports. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. And together, we are professional media historians guiding you through our own drafts of history. Transcripts of the show are available at journalism-history.org podcast. This episode is sponsored by Taylor & Francis, the publisher of our academic journal, Journalism History. Creating false fear over immigrants is nothing new. 100 years ago, the first Red Scare targeting Russian immigrants escalated into what became known as the Palmer Raids. In this episode, Anna Popkova of Western Michigan University describes the importance of the immigrant press in the early 1900s to help build and inform communities new to America, and how critical these newspapers were during times of sweeping discrimination. Anna, welcome to the show. Why did you want to study how the Palmer Raids were covered? Well, actually, this uh, article and this study in particular has an interesting history. Um, I first wrote it as a course paper back in my graduate school days. I was actually a master's student, not even yet a PhD student, so it was a while ago. Um, <laughs> and it was in, in a class on media and journalism history that I took with uh, amazing Kathy Ford. Shout out to Kathy. Um, a lot of people in the journalism history world know her, of course. So I was very lucky to uh, be in her seminar as a graduate student when she was teaching at the University of Minnesota. And at that time, I was, you know, I was kind of, you know, a, a fresh graduate student. I was, I had a lot of ideas. I was searching for what to research, what kind of I'm interested in. But I already, of course, I was interested in, in media and journalism and I was interested in history, and I was uh, already interested in experiences of uh, minorities, uh, marginalized voices and people, uh, immigration, and so kind of, you know, intersections of, of that. And, you know, being myself, I, I grew up, I, I was born and raised in Russia, and um, this wasn't, you know, grad school wasn't my first experience in the U.S., but still, you know, you no matter how how long you are in in a different country, a country not where the country where you were not born and raised, you always think about, you know, like in my case, what is it like to be a Russian in America? You kind of it's your personal experience, and a lot of our research is um, influenced by our personal experiences too. So I was kind of thinking uh, along those lines, and I was in Kathy's office once one day. I just wanted to chat about what I'm thinking in terms of a course paper. And uh, I think she, she said, why don't you look at the first Red Scare and, um, and, and, and the Russian immigrant experiences at the time and um, the, what the Russian press was doing? And I thought it was, it, was, it was really interesting. And I started reading more about it. And some of the things that I found as I was doing some secondary research for this topic, uh, I found them really fascinating. I started digging deeper and noticed that there wasn't really anything out there on how um, 
Palmer raids in particular, and even just that period of first Red Scare, how it was um, perceived by the Russian immigrants themselves, the ones who were all caught up in all that and who who were the victims of the Palmer raids primarily. And, and I didn't see anything on how it was uh, presented by, covered by the Russian press, which at the time, like any immigrant press, and in general at that time, immigrant press was really a big a big deal for the immigrant communities. Um, I didn't find anything, and so I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that, and this is how it started, and I wrote it, and you know, um, it the the <laughs> the question of why it's I'm publishing it now as opposed to back then when I wrote it is a story for another day. But it is definitely a very special paper for me because of um, I, I, it was one of the first ones I wrote as a grad student. And it's kind of funny how later uh, my academic career took some other twists and turns. And I'm coming, I come back to this piece a couple of years ago, almost tenured. I am tenured now, just thinking, I have to publish this. This is a really, really cool piece of research. So that's the history. And this is how I... Um, yeah, this is why I wanted to study how polymerase recovered. So you mentioned how important the immigrant press was. You know, tell us a little bit more about its significance in the United States in the early 1900s. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, I, as I mentioned already, like you said, the immigrant press was a huge part of the immigrants' life in the U.S. in the um, early 900s because, well, first of all, in that the, the turn of the 20th century, you get that second wave of, second big wave of, of immigration to the United States um, of just immigrants from all kinds of places, a lot of them from Europe. And um, in terms of what kinds of, what kind of media was available at the time, right? You think early 900s, well, the newspapers, that was it. That was really it. And so naturally, immigrants, uh, when they came to the United States, they formed communities in the United States and they've uh, established their, their, their newspapers. And those newspapers played a really big role in their lives because they helped them um, connect with each other, find each other, you know, form, maintain those communities. They helped them um, get news from home. Um, a lot of those immigrants, for example, didn't uh, know English. And so those newspapers were in their languages. And so this was how they kept in touch with home, with the communities back home, um, but just uh, knew what was happening around the world. Um, it helped them also, a lot of those um, immigrant newspapers, one of the things that they did is they, uh, as some of the scholars of immigrant media put it, they introduced them to the American scene and way of life. So they really helped them adjust to this new culture, this new country, new way of living, navigate their, their lives in America. Um, so these, um, the newspapers really helped with that adjustment process and helped the people uh, connect with each other and maintain those those immigrant communities. And another factor, a bit later, so closer to actually when, when the Palmerites were happening, but right, First World War, when First World War uh, happened and, and was ongoing, a lot of the immigrants in um, 
in America, in the United States, were from Europe. And so, of course, they, they, they were hungry for, for news from, from, from home, what was happening there. And a lot of them aligned with their countries of origins, too. So it was kind of a uh, that was also that also enhanced the demand for more um, immigrant press in the U.S., just wanting to wanting to know uh, more about the First World War and more about what was happening with their countries of origin as part as part of the war. But that actually also, when the U.S. entered the war in 1917, uh, it started monitoring very closely the immigrant press uh, because of that kind of, you know, some of the immigrant press aligned with their countries of origins. And that's where all the politics and power play came into into, um, the scene. So that was another kind of uh, an interesting factor that later on also played out in the first Red Scare and Palmer Raids. So you've mentioned the Palmer Raids. That's the theme of this show. Why are they called the Palmer Raids? Who was Palmer and and what was his role in all of this? Uh, Yeah, so the Palmer Raids were named after after Alexander Mitchell Palmer, who was the U.S. Attorney General at the time. And he was primarily responsible for the raids and for the major effort to, quote unquote, curb radicalism of which the raids were uh, one of the pieces, one of the central pieces. So um, in 19, actually in summer 1919, his own house was bombed by anarchists. And that was kind of the last straw for him. Um, and so he, <clears throat> what, what, what he did was he, he, he launched this major campaign for ending radicalism um, in, in the United States. And he actually asked for and received $500,000 um, appropriation from Congress to fund the Justice Department's anti-radicalism efforts. And he did a lot of prep work. So, for example, one of the first steps he took was he established this general intelligence division within the Department of Justice Bureau of Investigation. And they, uh, over the next few months, the division built this really comprehensive, you know, database, basically, of more than 200,000 index cards that had detailed information on all known and, and you know, labeled radical organizations, associations, publications, complete case histories uh, of individuals that were also classified as quote unquote dangerous radicals. So they did all this this work, and all of that was happening. Uh, he was overseeing all that, and um, all of that was happening in this sort of general atmosphere of fear and suspicion that defined the first Red Scare. Um, and so that then ultimately, when they were ready, that led to the raids in uh, 1919 and 1920. Let's talk about what exactly happened with the raid on November 7th, 1919. So on November 7th, 1919, the Department of Justice's agents raided um, uh, several uh, several organizations across across the country, but mainly they raided the Union of Russian Workers um, in 11 cities across the United States, and they arrested uh, about 300 
officers and members of the organization. The biggest raid affected the Union of Russian Workers headquarters that was located in the Russian People's House in New York City. Now, the Russian People's House was kind of, it was almost like a community center that housed multiple different organizations that served the Russian immigrant community in the New York City. And so the Union of Russian Workers was just one of the organizations that was in the Russian People's House. But they came in, the agents, and arrested everybody, about 200 men and women. And it was a very, the arrests were very brutal. They were violent. They were, um, people were, one of the, um, one of the, uh, of the people actually who, who was um, rounded up that night um, told in his sworn testimony later that, for example, you know, he was, he was taking um, um, a class, a math class, and the agents just stormed in and ordered everyone downstairs. And as they were walking downstairs, uh, they, they, they had to pass a line of men who were, each man hit the, the, the Russian immigrants who were coming downstairs with clubs and blackjacks. And, and so they were all pretty brutally beaten, uh, beaten and taken to the, um, driven away to Justice Department's headquarters for questioning. And after questioning of all these 200 people, they only, the agents only released pretty much everybody except for 39 people that they, they held for further questioning. But, um, yeah, so that 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 was what happened there, and um, some of the other people who were victims of that raid said that after they were released, they um, their um, laundry checks, their school cards, their insurance papers were all taken from them. So um, this was actually so this was the November raids, and then they were followed by very similar raids in, in January. So it was that followed the same pattern. More arrests took, took place and arrest warrants were issued. Many of the arrested individuals were held for months before even receiving a hearing. So those raids definitely um, raised a lot of questions about constitutional rights. And in fact, uh, the American Civil Liberties Union, right, ACLU, was created in 1920 as a direct reaction to and result of the Palmer raids that started in November and then continued through January. You examined a specific Russian immigrant newspaper in your research. So talk about how you found out about this newspaper, why it was influential, and then how it covered these raids. Yeah, so when I... Um, decided that I was going to pursue this topic. I started doing some reading of the secondary literature that was available. And I started reading up on uh, Russian immigrant press. And it became clear right away that Nova Ruska Slova, this newspaper, was one of the leading, one of the biggest and most influential uh, newspapers. Um, and it was uh, it was influential, it was big for, for, for several reasons. One, was that um, it was actually politically neutral. So there was a lot of interesting um, power dynamics and, and politics happening within the Russian community too at the time, which is a whole other topic. But, um, but this particular newspaper was intentionally nonpartisan. And 
it was, I think it was one of the reasons it actually survived in 1919 and 1920. It was one of the very few Russian publications that, that were not shut down, they were not uh, very, very closely monitored because it wasn't socialist. There were, there were some Russian publications that were socialist. And so the American government was afraid that they were spreading dangerous ideas and they were closed down. But Novaya Ruska Slova was not. And they really positioned themselves as this people's newspaper that were nonpartisan and they were really trying to serve the Russian immigrant community in ways that would help them adjust to the American scene and way of life, in ways that would advocate for their rights, um, in ways that would be, um, I guess, you know, not threatening to the to the American government. So they were really doing a lot of interesting political maneuvering there. Um, yeah, and they were popular. You look at the circulation numbers and the numbers just speak for themselves. You look at some of those um, tables of circulation numbers and you just see that, yeah, it was it was one of the largest, one of the most popular newspapers. People read it. So how did the newspaper help Russian immigrants make sense of the raids? How did they cover it? You know, how did they make sense of the first Red Scare in general? Yeah, so um, to, to, to answer this question, it is helpful to know what the newspaper itself looked like, what was its structure, how, what, what, the, the, um, what kinds of topic in general it covered. So the newspaper looked like this. It had this first page that was always devoted to news. Then it was followed by two pages of just advertisements. And after that, there were two more pages of material that was sort of this mix of editorial, feature stories, op-eds, just kind of a more free-form um, uh, uh, material. And it also had letters from, from the readers. And this was a really, really big and interesting piece of what the newspaper was doing and how it was working with those letters from the readers. And I'll talk about that a little, a little later. But um, in, and, and, in the way the newspaper presented different events in that first section, the news section, and then that section that I, in, in my paper, I labeled it discussion and interpretation. It was was very different. So that news page contained news, <laughs> and uh, it was presented in this very, uh, in a way that resembled very much the then emerging, actually, American standard of uh, ideal of objectivity, objective journalism, which now is sort of you know commonplace. This is how you do news in America. The inverted pyramid of style, the emphasis on facts, neutrality, detachment. And so this is how uh, Novaya Ruskaya Slova was presenting news, which especially at the time was actually not at all a Russian way of, of doing journalism. But they did it and uh, in their news section. And, you know, perhaps part of it was their desire to acquaint Russian immigrants with American culture. And, OK, this is how you do news here and we do it the same way. Um, in terms of Palmer raids in particular, I think it was especially important for them to cover the Palmer raids in their news section, which is, again, this is the, um, the front page of the newspaper in this very detached manner because of the overall atmosphere of suspicion um, in the country and the Red Scare and the scare of Russians who were, you know, the word Russian was uh, synonymous with Bolshevik and radical and communist. So it, the newspaper 
even though it was nonpartisan, had to be very, very careful. So um, one of the things that, so yeah, so it presented the Palmer raids in this very detached uh, uh, facts only manner, even though generally immigrant newspapers do tend to advocate for their communities and defend them. Um, But it also did a few things in that new section that were really, really helpful for the readers. For example, uh, one of the things that it did is whenever it reported on the raids, specifically where the raids took place, uh, how many people were arrested, the newspaper published lists of names of people who were arrested. And some of them were taken to Ellis Island, some of them were deported, but it always had those lists of names, which at the time were, um, was, well, it's always helpful, right? When your relative or friend is missing and you just don't know where they are and you can't find out because it's 1919, you can't, you know, there's no smartphones, you can't email, there's, <laughs> right? There's just newspapers um, and you see their name in the newspaper. This is helpful. This is comforting. You think, okay, at least they're alive. At least there's hope. So they published those names. Um, what they also did is they introduced this entire subsection after a few issues of, of the newspaper during the raids called News from Ellis Island. And so this is where they were yeah, publishing updates from what was happening at the, <clears throat> at the Ellis Island. They were... Um, those daily reports contain information on how many new individuals arrived at the island, which communities they were sent from, which towns, which cities, how many hearings the authorities had begun and conducted, how many individuals had been released, how many had been sentenced for deportation. So this was all really, really helpful information, factual, detached, neutral, and yet very helpful information for, um, for the immigrants, for their readers to know. And then in their section, in in their last two pages, well, that's where all the feelings and that's where all the emotions and discussions and um, uh, that's where all of that happened. And one of the most fascinating findings of my study, one of the most fascinating things that happened in those two last pages was that dialogue between the newspaper's contributors, the journalists, the reporters, and the, the readers, so the newspaper curated all of that in, uh, in, in such a way that there was a dialogue. So, for example, there would be, we publish a letter from the reader who was expressing uh, his disappointment and fear and frustration about what was happening, you know, with the raids and with the first red scare in general and the confusion and the... Um, sadness about the scapegoating that the Russians were experiencing, this kind of a putting the communist label on every Russian that was out there and so on and so forth. So that would be that letter from the reader. And then the next day, there would be, for example, an editorial engaging with those themes, maybe not directly, but you could definitely see the dialogue emerging there. And so that definitely marked the way uh, the Palmer raids were covered, um, that kind of, you know, engagement, clear engagement with the readers, um, putting the readers' voices at the center of the discussion and engaging with them. Um, and, and, and this is how they've, they, this was one of the ways in which they helped them make sense of the raids and the first scare in ge- first red scare in general. Do you happen to know how long that newspaper was around? 
for uh, uh, uh yeah for a long time it was i think it just i think it stopped publishing in 2010 oh wow yeah yeah i think i will have to check on that but i think it was 2010 what do you think that journalists today can take away from this history well i think there are, there are many takeaways here one of them um uh, to me a very obvious one i didn't write the, the in my paper specifically i don't touch a lot on that although i do mention that a lot and uh it comes through in in um one of the themes that i discuss for example one of the central themes in the coverage by Novorosskaya Slova was the frustration with the way the mainstream, the American, the U.S. mainstream media covered the raids and just in general kind of rallied around the flag. And at that time, you had this massive anti-communist propaganda in the mainstream media. And Novorosskaya Slova, of course, was a very different kind of journalism, a very different kind of coverage. So I think one of the takeaways here is this juxtaposition, right, this difference between how at times that are often characterized as being, well, as, as threatening the American national security. And it happens not only in America, it happens all over the world, right? Your national security is, is in danger. And so mainstream media does this rallying around the flag, it's a term, uh, too. There's a lot of research about that. The mainstream media tends to rally around the flag. And it is especially strong when foreigners are involved, when the threat is also um, tied to the foreigners, the, the aliens, as they were called at the time, and are still actually called in legal language. Foreigners are um, uh, non-residents, non-citizens are <laughs> termed aliens. So um, that is, I think, something that all journalists have to think about whenever they cover um so many topics that touch on either national security or immigration or both, because both are, as this case study shows, uh, often uh, uh, combined, uh, you know, whose, whose um, voices get forgotten, marginalized, and whose voices get amplified. How does the way you cover certain events and certain processes, how does that affect the lives of, of individuals? How does that make them feel? Um, how does that affect the way your readers, who you write about, perceive what is going on politically? And how do they view those individuals that you write about who are uh, involved in all that? So, you know, that's, I think, that is one big takeaway. It, it, you know, whenever you write, I think about sort of non-mainstream journalism, right? For example, immigrant press in this case, you think about that, you know, mainstream coverage versus this kind of coverage. And I think for, for any journalists who do write uh, or work, <laughs> uh, who do storytelling that supports, centers, marginalized voices, I think this is just something that says, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. This is this is necessary. This is important. And this then eventually becomes part of history that is important as well. Well, so kind of expanding off of that, our last question of the show is always, why does journalism history matter? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think journalism history matters for the same reason history matters in general, right? It helps us better understand the past and understanding the past is critical for making sense of the present and taking actions that will shape the future. And I think if we look at this question, why does journalism history matter from the perspective of my research that looks at dissent and marginalized voices, then the answer is that the history of non-mainstream journalism, such as the immigrant press, matters a great deal because it helps us find those missing pieces of the big puzzle of, you know, capital age history, if there is such a thing. But um, yeah, it allows developing a broader perspective and a deeper understanding of the historical processes that shape our society and the role that different kinds of journalisms play in these processes. It, it helps us see the complexity of history the power dynamics that shape it, which then hopefully helps us make sense of the similar processes in the present. I mean, this paper is as much about journalism as it is about immigration and a lot of the things that happen there with the Red Scare and the Palmer Raids, you, you, you read it and you think, wow, really, when it comes to immigration and all aspects of it, the way it's covered, the way it's handled by the government, it's just it's all the same. Um, so, but I think getting a better understanding of the past and of the ways in which journalism, the, the, the role that the journalism played in, 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 in uh, shaping that past helps us make better sense of what, what we're dealing with right now. And that's why it matters. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at jhistoryjournal. Until next time, I'm your host, Terry Finneman, signing off with the words of Edward R. Murrow. Good night, and good luck. <laughs> <laughs>